Fantastic, fantastic. Love to see that video there uh, as we celebrate Women's History Month. Uh, what a joy to hear those stories. And uh, I wasn't planning on this, but I want to give a shout out to my wife, uh, my, my mother, uh, my mother-in-law, uh, everyone who's watching this here, my sisters. Um, uh, I am so grateful. New Life would not be what it is without the women in our community. Uh, amen. I would not be the person I am without all of the women who have nurtured me and discipled me and pastored me, uh, and so uh, I am so grateful to uh, all the women in my life who have uh, impacted in, in, in my life in profound ways. Shout out to our women pastors on staff, our women elders. I mean, I, I, I can keep going for a while here. I'll stop. All right. We are in the fifth Sunday of, in Lent here. I want to welcome you. Those of you who are watching from all over the world, whether you're watching from Queens, watching from another part of our nation, another part of our uh, world, it's great to have you. My name is Rich Velotis. I'm the lead pastor of New Life Fellowship Church here in Queens, New York City. And whether you're joining us from YouTube, newlife.nyc, or Facebook, it is so good to have you. We are finishing our series through the book of Job, this Lenten series through the book of Job. And then next week, we're going to focus on Palm Sunday. And then the week after that is Easter, where we focus on the resurrection. But today, we are ending uh, in chapter 42 in the book of Job. And so feel free, if you have a Bible, you can uh, turn there. Uh, we'll have the verses on the screen as well. But this, this is a, a, a chapter that captures the way that Job has things restored to him. And there's many things that we can learn out of this story. And so uh, Job 42, beginning at verse number 1, hear the word of the Lord. It says, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, Who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. And then Job replies in verse 5, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and will not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Verse 9, so Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite did what the Lord told them and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the troubles the Lord had brought on him, and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. 
The, verse, the first daughter he named, uh, Jemima. Uh, I got to get that name right. It's Jemima. I don't know what it is here. The second, Kezia. And the third, Karen Hapuk. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. And it closes up with this. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died, an old man and full of years. Let's pray. Lord, speak to us now through the power of your Holy Spirit. May we hear your word. Encourage us. Uh, speak to us. Give us life as we enter into uh, this next week in Lent. We offer this time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, growing up in the 80s and 90s, I loved watching sitcoms. I watched every sitcom that I could possibly watch. Some of my favorite sitcoms were like Growing Pains and Family Matters and Family Ties and Different Strokes. Uh, uh, on the chat section, without getting distracted, put your own favorite sitcom uh, in the chat section. Amen. I loved these sitcoms, but as I grew older, I would come to dislike some of these sitcoms uh, somewhat. And the reason I I would grow to dislike them a bit was because they had a way of taking the incredibly complex situations of life and providing really simplistic ways of addressing it. At the last 40 seconds to a minute of a sitcom, no matter what the problem was, uh, someone would be playing in the background some nice soft music, they'd hug each other, there'd be some wonderful words spoken, and then that problem would be solved only to address another problem the following week that was totally disconnected, and then at the end of that time, the problem would be solved, and on and on it went. The incredibly complex situations of life get reduced to simplistic solutions. Now, uh, no matter what it was, it could have been betrayal, it could have been abuse, it could have been any kind of problem in the sitcom, it would be reduced in very simplistic ways. And as we come to this last chapter in the book of Job, I want us to resist the simplistic and superficial fairy tale answers, yet at the same time, I want us to ground ourselves in the hope that we have in God. Because what we just saw and just read in the book of Job in chapter 42 sees an incredible reversal, an incredible restoration, an incredible solution, as it were, to the problems that Job has endured for the previous 41 chapters. And it can come across as a sitcom. Because in our case, six weeks ago when we started this series, Job lost it all. His health, his wealth, his family. But now six weeks later, here we are, Job getting everything restored. Wouldn't it be nice if life was like that? Wouldn't it be nice if six weeks ago you lost your job, but six weeks later you get another job and you get double the salary? That would be really nice. Wouldn't it be nice if just six weeks ago you experienced some significant heartache and pain, but six weeks later you are done with it? You are, you are experiencing all kinds of joy and healing like that never happened before. It would be really nice if it happened that way, but life doesn't always unfold as neatly like a sitcom. So I want us to hold on to hope in God while resisting the superficial and fairy tale ways that the world often longs for. 
In the book of Job in chapter 42, we see restoration, we see reconciliation, we see God making things right. At the same time, we learn some significant lessons about the spiritual life. Now, for those of you joining us for the first time, maybe you're joining New Life for the first time, maybe this is the first sermon you're hearing in the book of Job, I want to give you a two to three minute recap of where we've been the past five weeks. It's a pretty nice deal that you come to church today and you get a recap of the first five weeks in three minutes and then you get a, a sermon as well on this week. The book of Job begins uh, in chapter 1 by highlighting how amazing Job is. He's a righteous man. He's a godly man. He's a prayerful man. He's a wonderful husband. He's a wonderful father. He's a perfect neighbor. And the story begins by highlighting the remarkable character and blamelessness of Job. But shortly after that uh, character profile of who Job is, the scene shifts to heaven where there's a conversation that God has with a particular angel known as the Hasatan. And the Hasatan is this challenging angel who exists to serve as a kind of prosecuting attorney to challenge God's policies and the ways that God has ordered the world. You have to follow the story to understand what's going on here. The Hasatan essentially says that the reason why Job worships God is because God has blessed Job. And the reason why people are blessed is because uh, they deserve it. And so the, the retribution principle that the Hasatan uh, introduces is essentially this. The righteous get blessed and the wicked get cursed. And so, and so the Hasatan essentially says if you were to curse Job, he would curse you. Because this is the way that the world operates. And so God says, not my guy, Job. The Hasatan says, yes, your guy, Job. God says, you know what? Why don't you take away all his wealth and all of that, and I'll prove to you that this guy is righteous and blameless, and he will not curse me. The Hasatan says, deal. Those of us reading says, what are we doing? God allows the Hasatan to strip Job of all of his wealth, to strip Job of his health. His, he loses his family and in that process experiences all kinds of disorientation, all kinds of grief, all kinds of trauma. That is the end of chapter 1. In chapter 2, we see that Job has a very distressing conversation with his grieving wife who essentially says, look at what happened to us. Why don't you just curse God and die? And Job says, I am not going to do that. A scene later in chapter 2, Job's three friends hear of his grief and distress and they join Job in his suffering and do three things that good friends do. They leave their house to be with Job. They tear their own garments and, and put dust in their head as a way of saying, we're entering into solidarity with you. And then they're silent with Job for seven days. Most of us have a hard time being silent for seven seconds, seven minutes, seven hours, for seven days. Think about that. That's a long time they are silent with Job. And then the eighth day comes, and they open their mouth, and they have a lot to say. And it is this point in the book of Job where the story goes uh, down, if you will, because lots of tension emerges because they have been operating by a principle. Job, you must have deserved this pain that you're getting. Because why would God send this to you if you didn't sin? The next 30 chapters are essentially an argument between Job and his friends as to why people suffer. They said, confess your sin. We know you messed up. Job says, 
You haven't, you haven't seen what I've done. I have not done anything at all. And on and on and on for 30 chapters, we see them get in a significant argument. By chapter 38, God comes on the scene and God speaks. Job has spoken. His three friends have spoken. Another friend comes on the scene and speaks. And then God speaks in chapter 38. And when God speaks, God, as it were, creates even more complexity because instead of giving Job answers, he gives Job questions. Instead of giving Job clarity, he gives Job mystery. Instead of giving Job fairness, he gives Job omnipotence. Instead of giving Job reasons, he gives him wisdom. God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. That's what we saw last Sunday. And so at the end of chapter 38, after God gives Job 50 questions, Job responds in chapter 42 and says these words to God. He said, I, I, my ears have heard of you before, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I find it interesting that the only thing that, to, that could get to Job's heart and change his mind was not debating, but divine revelation. And I can't spend a lot of time on this particular portion of it, but it, it bears for me to say something parenthetically. That the ways that we experience transformation and the ways that we experience change in our world is not simply by debating, but by divine revelation. We often think as Christians that if we can just debate someone, we can never debate someone into transformation. We can never debate someone into changing their lives. As a matter of fact, debating almost uh, increases the rifts that we have with one another. But what can change our lives is divine revelation. You and I cannot change our lives, but what we can do is position ourselves to, a, to be in a place where transformation can be possible. You and I cannot change our neighbor, cannot change our children, cannot change our husband, but we can create environments where transformation becomes possible. And it's important to see that Job's life was changed, not because his friends had good answers, but because God revealed himself to him. And so my prayer for us is, Lord, reveal yourself to us. May we position ourselves to, uh, to experience the kind of transformation that only you can give in a mystical, supernatural way. That's what we learn in that portion of the text. Beyond that, however, we also see how God invites Job and calls us to live in this world. After God speaks to Job, he begins to speak to Job's friends. And as he speaks to Job's friends, God has some heavy things to say to Job's friends. Look at, with me at verse number 8. In verse number 8, it says, Now take seven bulls. This is what he says to Job's friends. Take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept this prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, and Zophar did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. In the closing chapter of the book of Job, we find really two lessons, two invitations that the Lord gives to Job that I believe God gives to us as well. The first thing he gives to Job is essentially this. God calls Job and calls us to heal the divisions that grief often causes or to heal the divisions that grief often reveals. And in verse 10, it says, after Job prayed for his friends, that's what I want to focus on for a moment. 
after Job prays for his friends. God calls us to heal. Heal the divisions that grief often reveals. Now, there's a couple of things happening here. Number one, God is grieved and angered that Job's friends have misrepresented him. They've said things about God's character that's not true. And as a result, their bad theology really uh, contributes to the ongoing tensions that we see throughout the book of Job. And that's what bad theology does as well. Bad theology often deepens our divisions, intensifies our differences. We have to be mindful of the theology that we espouse. And so God is upset with Job's friends because they have spoken about God in ways that are not true. It has been folly to God. In addition to that, though, what we see is that God notices how Job's relationship with his friends, the, the fractures that were emerging through the grief, and it is often plain to see the ways that grief reveals the divisions and intensifies the divisions that are within us and between us. As a pastor, I know what it's like to, uh, to be processing with family members that have lost a loved one. And in so doing, I get a, a behind-the-scenes picture of the divisions that were already there, that grief and loss intensifies. I've been around families where they did not know how to deal with loss, did not know how to deal with grief, and as a result, their grief and loss pull them apart from each other. The level of animosity between them, who's going to get what from their departed family member, it's often very difficult post a death to see the ways that families unravel. Some families come together and they move towards one another in love. Other families pull apart. What we see in the book of Job is our friendships that are torn, our friendships that are experiencing incredible divisions. And yet what God invites Job to is to work toward, for the healing of the incredible fractures and divisions that exist in his world. Over the past year, we've experienced significant fractures. This pandemic has revealed and intensified and exacerbated the kinds of fractures that we see in our country, the kinds of fractures we've seen across political lines, across racial lines, across theological lines. What we've seen in a pandemic where we've seen so much loss and so much suffering and so much disorientation is the magnification, the, the magnifying of incredible grief and division and loss. Our congregation has experienced that. Every congregation in this country has experienced a deepening of division and hostility because that's what pain often does. It reveals the fractures that are within us and the fractures that are among us. And so God has Job live from a different center. God says, I see the divisions. I see the fractures. I see the hostility. Job, I am calling you now to pray for your friends. Now, if I'm Job, I'm asking God a question. I know God's been asking me questions for the last three chapters, 50 questions. Now, I'm going to ask God a question. Here's my question to God. Have you been reading my book? Have you read the previous chapters of what I've experienced? Have you seen my friends? Have you seen their condescension? Have you seen their condemnation? Have you seen their judgmentalism? Have you seen their harsh words towards me? With friends like this, who needs enemies? If I'm Job, I'm saying, God, 
have you seen these friends? Or if I'm Job, I'm saying, I'll pray for them. But what I'm going to pray for them is I'm going to pray that they experience what I've experienced over the course of my book. I'm going to pray that they experience suffering. I'm going to pray that they experience all kinds of loss. That's what I'm going to pray for my friends. I see some of you already nodding your head in the chat section. That's right. But thank God Job is not like us in this story. Job is righteous. Job is, he's blameless. Job goes on to pray for his friends. And he works towards the healing of these relationships. Now what makes this so staggering is this is totally opposite the way that our world operates. And this is totally opposite the way that we often operate. We operate not according to a redemptive, restorative way of life, but often to a way of life that's marked by retribution. You hit me, I'll hit you back. We live in a counter-punching world. It's a good term in boxing where someone punches and the person punches right back. It's a counter-punching world. We are often marked by retribution. I'm reminded of my ways of retribution just a few years ago. A couple of years ago, I was taking my son Nathan, he was uh, about maybe three or four years old, to an indoor playground in Long Island. And we went to this playground and noticed when we got in there that there was a train track set in this playground in the corner of the room. Nathan loves these kinds of train track sets. Only problem was, he didn't bring the train that he usually brings with him, and for whatever reason, uh, this bootleg indoor place did not have lots of trains. I will not reveal the name of this indoor play area. And so, my son is frustrated that he didn't have any trains to play with, and I said, next week when I bring you here again, we'll make sure we'll bring our own trains. And so the next week comes, Nathan brings his favorite train. And when he gets there, he's playing with his train. He's, he's three years old, four years old. He's playing. He's having a time of his life. No other kids are there. I'm having a great time. He's having a great time. And then another family walks in, a parent and their child, who's maybe one year older than Nathan. The child goes to this train track area. Problem is, there's only one train, Nathan. Problem is, the kid didn't bring his own train. And as I mentioned, this bootleg facility did not have extra trains to spare. And so this kid starts looking at Nathan's train, fixating on Nathan's train, moving a little closer to Nathan and his train. And as the kid is moving closer to Nathan, I'm moving closer to the kid. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and the kid's moving a little closer, and I see Nathan all of a sudden recognizes this kid getting a little too close, and the kid swipes to grab Nathan's train. Nathan pulls it back and moves away. The kid corners Nathan at that point, wanting the train. He's a little bigger than Nathan, and he, he swipes at it again. Nathan pulls back, and the kid hits Nathan. Now, at this point, I'm looking at the parent, and I'm saying, in my mind, I know I'm a pastor, brothers and sisters, but Brooklyn come, East New York, Brooklyn comes out of me from time to time. And I'm going, my, you hit my kid, my kid hits your kid, like, your kid hits my kid like that? You better watch it. <laughs> you better watch it. And so, but before I could even finish that thought, after the kid hit Nathan, Nathan with his train hits the kid back. Now, I want to tell you that uh, I, I wish I would have said, 
Nathan, don't do that. What's wrong with you? We don't hit back. We don't do that. But something inside of me said, that's my son. That's my son. That's my son. And, and inside, I was so proud. I, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I was so proud of this. This is how I looked when Nathan hit the kid back. This is a picture. Remember Mr. Miyagi and the, the karate kid at the end? He's so proud of Daniel. Daniel won. He got the trophy. And this is how the karate kid ends. This is how I was in that bootleg facility with only one train for that entire track. I was just so proud. And I realized in that moment, the retribution principle lives deep inside of me. I repented. That was three years ago, brothers and sisters. I repented of my sins, even though I'm finding great joy telling that story right now. And so the retribution principle runs deep inside of us, but I love that Job shows us a different way. He prays for those who have caused him great heartache. Now, I need to say that we need to wrestle with the complexity of this. Because I mentioned at the beginning, I don't want this chapter 42 to be like a sitcom where everything is neatly tied in and it's wonderful for our lives and we just do what Job did and everything is fantastic. Life is not that simple. From the time that God said, Job, pray for your friends, and the time that Job actually prayed for his friends, for us, between those verses, it might take a while. Because often when we're sinned against, Often when we are the recipients of hurt and heartache and violence, it's not that easy just to pray for those who have hurt us. It's often the case that we need to allow ourselves to be real with the hurt, to experience and feel the grief, to allow ourselves to experience and be a human being and feel the anger and out of that place now in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit have our hearts be made soft by his presence and offer grace to the world. But it's not that simple. I recognize this past week the mass killing in Atlanta. And we can look at that verse and and do away with the grief, and do away with the anger, and do away with the pain that we feel inside, and just say, I just pray for people who hurt us, and I recognize the call for us as Christians is to, yes, forgive, but to forgive from a deep place. Not to forgive in our words only, and just going through the motions, but to forgive from our very hearts, and to forgive and pray from our very hearts often means we have to allow ourselves to be human, and to feel and to open ourselves up to the presence of God and allow God to soften our hearts and to pray and offer grace from that space. And sometimes that takes a few days. Sometimes that takes a few weeks. Sometimes it takes a few months. Sometimes it takes a few years. But the ultimate truth that I want us to hold on to in this passage is that God calls us to heal. God calls us to have our hearts remain soft. God calls us to move beyond retribution and to work for restoration. What we see in the book of Job, number one, is that God calls us to heal. But there's a second thing I want to show you in this chapter as well. God doesn't just call us to heal. God calls us to hope. God calls us to the hope of restoration. I want to show you how Job 42 ends. It ends in a very curious way. Job 42 ends with incredible restoration, incredible redemption, 
And yet, I have to admit, as a preacher and a pastor, as a Christian and a human, that I have some mixed feelings about the ways this chapter ends, the ways that this book ends. It's often the case that when preachers preach this message, it ends with an incredible amount of hope, and it can end like a sitcom. And preachers get up and say, God is going to give you double for your trouble. And the church goes, amen, and people fall out, and it's, it's wonderful. And I probably preached a message like that before. God's going to give you double for your trouble. The problem is our lives don't often unfold the ways that Job's did in this story. It's often easy for us to look at that passage and just say, what God did for Job, God's going to do exactly that way that he did for me. And yet, life is not that easy. Moreover, I have complicated, conflicting uh, perspectives about this chapter because it can make it seem as if Job is not grieving anymore. Job has now a new family in chapter 42. New sons, new daughters, new wealth, new possessions. And it's easy to make it feel as if Job is not still reeling from the pain of his significant loss in previous chapters. It reminds me of what Elie Wiesel said, the great Jewish novelist. Elie Wiesel, who ha- was, he wrote a, a novel that was wrestling with how God's chosen people, how, how the Jewish people can experience the Holocaust, and how God can allow his people to go through that. And as Elie Wiesel was wrestling with the book of Job and trying to reconcile his faith and reconcile the characters and the stories of Scripture, he asked a very simple question. He says, what Job should have asked God at the end of the book was, where are my dead children? Yes, thank you for the new ones, but what about my dead children? And I think we have to hold on to the complexity of what happened in Job 42 and not to assume that the way it happened for him is exactly the way it's going to happen for us. And so on one end, it frustrates me. But on the other hand, this chapter gives me great hope. Things will not end for everyone like they did for Job. For many people who lose a marriage, a new marriage is not necessarily guaranteed. Just because you lost your job doesn't mean you're going to get a new job and double the salary. But what this ending points us to is the truth that God's word of blessing will overcome any pain and suffering that we see in the world. In this story, it ends with hope, in Job's case, because a new family replaced a previous family. But for the entire world and for your life and for all of us as the people of God, God has something else in store for us. And this is the hope that I want to call your attention to. There is a day that's coming that God's not just going to replace, but God is going to restore. There's going to come a time when God's not just going to replace, but God is going to redeem. There's going to come a point in time in our world where God is not just going to replace, but God is going to make new. Why? Because 
in Jesus Christ a new family, a new world, a new possibility, a new ending has been made possible. God is not just going to refurbish the world, he's going to renew it. God's not just going to replace the world, he's going to restore it and redeem it. And that's the hope that we are called to as followers of Jesus. As Christians, when we look at the book of Job, we are not to end in chapter 42 because Job's story has been reenacted in a powerful way in our Savior. You see, thousands of years later after Job's story, another Job comes on the scene. He was more righteous than Job. He was more patient than Job. He was more gracious than Job. He is the better Job. You see, Job would lose all of his wealth, but this Job who was to come would surrender all of his riches in heaven. Job would lose all of his health, but the Job who was to come would lose his life. The Job in chapter 42 and before that would be judged because of his uh, uh, perceived sin, but the Job who was to come would become sin. There is a better Job that has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And as we close this series, and as we uh, move towards Holy Week, and move towards Good Friday, and move towards the Easter that is to come, we are reminded that Christ is the better Job, the one who has suffered on our behalf, the one who has taken on our sin, the one who has blessed us with words of restoration and not uh, restitution and retribution. God forgives us in the person of Jesus on the cross by saying, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. Christ is the better Job, and we are called to attach our lives to him. Why? Because it is this Christ who is remaking the world. It is this Christ who can give you hope even when the world doesn't unfold the way you want it to. It is this Christ who is with you even in your deepest, darkest moments. It is this Christ who has conquered sin and death. And we are called, brothers and sisters, to be like Job in this way. In Job chapter 19, he offers what is perhaps one of the most commonly quoted words in the book of Job. Job says these words, and as I close with this, he says, I know my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. You see Job's hope in chapter 19. I know my Redeemer lives. I know my skin has been destroyed, but I will see God face to face. And this is the hope for all of us brothers and sisters, that our story doesn't end ultimately with pain. Our story doesn't end ultimately with suffering. Some of you watching right now, you've experienced traumatic pain and suffering. But we gather as the people of God every Sunday to be reminded, weeping may endure for the night, but joy is coming in the morning. We might have experienced pain and loss, but God is remaking and renewing the world. You might feel a dark night of the soul, but I know my Redeemer lives. And that's how we end chapter 42, with God calling us 
to heal and God calling us to hope. What's the invitation from the Holy Spirit to you this day? Where is God calling you to offer healing? Where is God looking to keep your heart soft? And where is God calling you to hope? For some of you, you can't feel hope. And yet, the word of the Lord to us is, I know my Redeemer lives. And my, I might not see it the way I want to see it, but God's going to make all things new. And in the process, as we wait, he'll give us strength, daily bread, for every day that we face. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, you call us to heal and to hope. This is the story of our lives. The invitation for Christ's followers. The calling of the kingdom of God to heal and to hope. Heal, Lord, those watching right now. I pray your healing. Those suffering right now, I pray your healing. Those experiencing loss from this past year, I pray your healing. Those who have experienced a bad doctor's report, I pray your healing. Those who have wayward children, I pray your healing. Those whose marriages are crumbling, I pray your healing. Lord, for those watching right now, may your healing come through. Encourage hearts. Speak life. And Lord, I also pray for your hope. That hope would fill us. Even when we see the world going in a particular direction, we know how the story ends. Therefore, teach us to hope and to connect our lives to you. We pray all these things in the healing and hopeful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Friends, it's been a joy to journey through the book of Job through this Lenten season. And my hope is that you would continue to find yourself in these pages, to wrestle with the theology, to open yourself up before God, that God would meet you in incredibly powerful ways. As we close our service, I want to let you know of some next steps for us before I pray a prayer of blessing over you. As we've been doing over the past a uh, month or so, we're going to have a sermon discussion for about 30 minutes. That's going to begin right after uh, this service. And so if you are looking to have a discussion about what's been preached today and previous weeks, one of our pastors will be hosting that. We'd love for you to be a part of that. So click on that link for the sermon discussion. In addition to that, we have a prayer room for those of you who need prayer. Maybe you've been impacted in significant ways through this series, and today you felt God speaking to you. We want to pray for you. 
Moreover, for those of you watching, maybe you're watching for the first time and you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. My, my prayer, as Job says, he says, my, my ears have heard, but now my eyes have seen. My hope is that that's the kind of revelation that you'll get, that maybe you've heard about Jesus, but now your spiritual eyes have seen. And now you are saying, I must humble myself and receive this grace of God, this relationship with God. On the screen, there's a phone number that you can very simply text yes to Jesus. And maybe you're sensing the Holy Spirit, something inside of you saying, say yes, make a decision. We want to serve you along those lines. And so feel free to text to that number and one of our pastors will be in touch with you. As we close our service, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And we end our time with blessing because the world is filled with so much cursing. We end our time with blessing because the world is filled with so much hostility. And we end because this is a posture of receiving out of which we give to the world. And so wherever you're at, in your living room, in your bedroom, parked in your car, watching this with friends and family, just open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And with your hands in your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to the healing and hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And may you be a presence of healing in this world. And may your life be marked by incredible hope. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the healing name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you, friends. See you next week.